Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our service on Sunday, October 30th. This is kind of a standalone message that kind of sets up a series we're going to be kicking off next week on the Gospel of John. Today, we're just looking into the Gospel, and I think you're going to find that the Gospel is a much bigger than perhaps you may have been told. Today's message is called The Gospel in Five Acts. Hey, and also I want to thank everyone who came out to our chili cook-off last weekend at the Bogle Fly Park. It was a great time. We kicked it off with some worship, had some chili, jambalaya, and just an all-around good time. I think we're going to have to do it again in the future. And also we were able to give away about $1,000 in prizes to the award-winning chilies for their representative nonprofit organizations that each one of them chose to donate their proceeds to. So we were able to help out a lot of local organizations as well. So, we'll do that again. Thanks for listening. Let's head over to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, right in the heart of downtown Covington. Next week, we are going to do, we're going to kick off a new series on the Gospel of John. Now, the last book that we did a series on was Philippians. How many of y'all were here for that? How long did... The four chapters of Philippians take us uh, <laughs> about half a year. So it was a long time. So uh, if you don't like going through the Bible, you're going to hate the next series because I, I have a feeling uh, I have a feeling next year we're going to be in the Gospel of John at this time of the year. But we're going to kick off the series on the Gospel of John next week. And so I'm excited about that because I love it. I loved when we were going through Philippians, when we're all kind of digging into the Bible together. For some people, that, that might have been your first whole book of the Bible to actually ever read, and, and, and you really came away with a little bit deeper understanding. Well, that's kind of the point we're going to do. Uh, we're just going to look at Jesus for over a year and just you know look at the gospel. So I'm pumped about that. But so the last few months, I've been reading a lot of you know commentaries and different things on the Gospel of John. Um, but this morning, before we jump into the Gospel of John, I just want to jump into the Gospel. That, that, that might sound kind of like, wow, okay, Gospel. Um, I suspect if you've been an American Christian, if you've been around any kind of evangelical churches, uh, or I mean, just actually, in the, you, you can watch somebody at a, at a football game holding up a sign that says John 3.16, right? It, if you were asked what the gospel was, typically most people in this country would say, well, Jesus died to forgive my sins so I can go somewhere else, the, the good place, when I die, right? That's kind of the, the basic thinking of the gospel. Um, uh, obviously, the, this kind of scriptural reference we use a lot of times is John 3.16. I'm not going to, you know, spoiler alert, we're not going to get into John 3.16 today because we're going to cover that in a few weeks. But John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And for a lot of people, that's the gospel. And the gospel is simply about Jesus dealing with my sin individually so I can go to heaven when I die. But you know what? While that is certainly a piece of the gospel, that's only a piece of the gospel. 
The gospel is, is, is so much bigger than that. And today I want to kind of get up to a cruising altitude of, say, 5,000, 10,000 feet. And I want us to, to, to see the gospel in, in all its glory today. And I, I think you're going to find that the gospel is a much bigger story than we have reduced it to in modern evangelical Christianity. Uh, first, first, I want to say something about the, 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 um, the, the word gospel itself. It comes from a uh, Greek word. I'm going to probably mess it up here. Euangelion. Euangelion, which is the root word for evangelism <laughs> or evangelical or evangelize. Um, and, and, and so the gospel was actually a term that was already in existence before the church came along. Now, here's the gospel according to Rome. Because there was a gospel according to Rome before Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. Uh, there was this guy named Julius Caesar. You ever heard of Julius Caesar? He was the first uh, Caesar uh, of, of Rome. Rome had been a republic, and then all of a sudden the emperor decides, we don't need a republic anymore. I'm kind of the dude that's going to get it all done. And Caesar uh, takes over, proclaims himself the emperor. It didn't go over real well. We, you you might have heard the little A2 rote. You know, he, gets, he gets assassinated by some of the other people who wanted to protect the republic. He has a son named Augustus. Well, in the meantime, once, once Caesar had, had risen to the throne, Julius, he kind of started spreading the, the idea that he was somehow divine. And then you had this guy, Augustus, his, his, uh, I think he's actually his stepson, who, who ascends to the throne. And the commonly held view at that time was that Augustus was actually the son of God. He was divine himself. And so there was a gospel going around in the, the Roman Empire that had to do with the son of God uh, as... Caesar Augustus, and, and it went something like this. Good news, we have an emperor. Justice, peace, security, and prosperity are ours forever. The Son of God has become the king of the world. That was the, the gospel according to Rome. Now, it's like, wow, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, it's, it's actually, it was written on plaques uh, that were distributed on, on statues and you know, different places all over Rome. The emperor, the son of God, was going to usher in a rule and set things right uh, with the might of Rome. That was the gospel according to Rome. But then we see this other group of people who came on the scene, this this band of, of Christ followers, and they start proclaiming that, no, Caesar's not king. Jesus is king. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord. That's the good news. The good news is God himself has stepped into the story in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he is setting things right. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered this before, but the the actual word gospel, what do we call the first four books of the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do we call them? The gospels. You know why we call them the gospels? Because if you asked a first century Christian, what's the gospel? They wouldn't give you John 3.16. They'd give you John. <laughs> They'd give you Matthew. They would recount the story. Actually, you can find this out in, even looking at the book of Acts. You look at the first sermons, evangelistic sermons of people like Peter, and you know what Peter would often do? If he was telling about Jesus, he would tell the story of Israel as completed in Jesus. He would talk about Jesus coming again to set things right, and he'd tell people, repent. 
Give up your self-centered existence. Stop following the idols of this world and join what Jesus is doing. That, that was the gospel. You can find it in 1 Corinthians 15. You, you find this that, 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 that Jesus is the fulfillment of the story of Israel, and he's the king of the world. That's kind of the basics of the gospel. So when we look at the gospel of John next week, it's not just John 3.16. It's John 1, 1 all the way to the end. It's, it's a story that we're going to see that, that we're invited to be a part. So the, to, today I want to do the gospel in five acts. And i got a lot of stuff to, to, to cover today. But I want to say this before we get into John, because we're going to find as we begin looking into John that there are certain things that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, or something that John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, when Jesus says, I am, there's certain things that if you just read it as a modern-day American just looking at that book of the Bible alone, you're not going to get what's going on. Jesus was referencing the story of Israel. He was recasting things. And so I want us to, to get a view of the, of the kind of big story before we launch into the gospel of John. So you ready? Grab your seatbelts. Here we go. Act one. Creation. A good God creates a good world. Now, you, you might not know this, but the Genesis story was not like the only ancient story of how the world came into existence. Uh, there was a lot of creation narratives out there in the ancient Near East. There was a lot of, in the Middle East, there, there was different, you know, the Sumerians, the Babylonians. They had all kind of ideas. Now, how many people have read any Greek mythology before? Greek mythology is kind of like a soap opera. You know, it's you got this god sleeping with this goddess, and they get mad, and they fight. And, and human beings are kind of seen as, as, you know, we're just kind of stuck between this cosmic war between gods and goddesses, you know, good gods, bad gods, and, and, and we're just trying to appease them to, to keep them off our back, you know, or to get them to bless us so we can have crops or whatever. That's kind of the, the elemental idea of folk religions around the world. But most religions in the ancient Near East, did not see the world as a good creation. They saw the world as kind of an afterthought, kind of like it, it was an accident. Human beings were really, you know, they were kind of an accident. It, 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 you know, it, it's just, it's not really good. And this is what makes the, gospel, the, the, the narrative of Genesis so amazing because it stood in such sharp contrast to everything else in that world because it said, no, the world is not an accident. The world is good, and it was made by a good God. The world, the, the universe was created out of the overflow of God's goodness. That's a, that's a pretty ground-shaking idea right there, because, you know, a lot of people in Christianity, they don't start there <laughs> with the gospel. They start with Genesis chapter 3, how, how screwed up everything is. But if you read the first chapter of Genesis, it sounds like poetry. It sounds like song lyrics. And God created this. And he looked at it and he said, it was good. And God created this. And he looked at it and he said it was good. And God creates this and this and this. And he looks at it and he says, it's good. And we actually find the, the, the apex of God's creation, the climax of, of the, the creation story, is God says, let us create human beings in our image, in our likeness. And God looks at the humans he created and he said, 
And they are good, very good. The start of this story, the opening act, we see a good God creating a good world. We see the apex of his creation being human beings created with a special capacity to show his likeness. You know, many Bible scholars have said that what you see in Genesis is actually God is is fashioning a dwelling place for himself. And the first humans are are kind of like priests. They're they're, they're meant to be in a priestly role, in a sense, to, to gather up the praise of creation and present it to God. To, to show creation what God is like, to rule on God's behalf. I mean, that's, that was the job title of Adam and Eve. And so, act one, we see the world was good. It wasn't an accident. It was intentional. It was the dwelling place for God and human beings. And we see in the, in the original creation that, that humans were in perfect creation with God, um, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another. And the curtains close on act one. Act two, cue the dramatic music. I'm just kidding. There's no dramatic music. <laughs> Act two. This is where a lot of evangelism in, in, in church, most that I've been around uh, growing up, was uh, began. The fall. Now, I, th- there's a great word that, that I think sums up kind of what the fall was about. Have you ever heard the term usurp before? Not usurp. Not usurp, Miles. Uh, usurp. Uh, This is the definition of usurp, to take a position of power or importance illegally or by force, to take the place of someone in a position of power illegal, to supplant. I think the the, the best word for the first humans, Adam and Eve, was usurpers. God had created them with a role, a context, a habitat to to, to live in the Garden of Eden, to to shepherd, uh, you know, to, to steward creation, to be in relationship, worship God. But they gave in to the temptation of the enemy, which can be summed up like this. God's not really as good as you think. God's holding out on you. See, God doesn't want you to be like him. Why don't you go around God? Why don't you partake of this fruit, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And that way you can be like God himself. That was the original temptation. And so what happens? Adam and Eve, they, they give in to that temptation. They go around God. They grasp for a power that they were never intended to have. And so we see the curse. They're kicked out of the, go- uh, the garden uh, mercifully by God so they wouldn't come across the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and be permanently living in a corrupted state. And the story that, that begins from that point on is one of depravity. Instead of the ruling the world on God's behalf, humans became filled with greed. We see within just one generation, we see murder, we see violence, we see shame, stealing, wanting what they can't have. And that's the basic story of humanity. But God will have a people and his will will come to pass. And so the curtains close on act two. Now, Act 3, we're going to call Israel. God comes to a guy named Abraham. And you can find in between, uh, we're we're covering actually a lot of the Bible today, and I'm not giving a whole lot of references, but you can find the story of Abraham, God's covenant with him between uh, Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. But God says to Abraham, Abraham, leave your homeland, follow me, and I'm going to bless you. 
And I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing, so that all the nations of the world will be blessed through what I'm going to do in and through you. And what's the Bible says? What's the Bible says? What's the Bible say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Do you know what? That's the first preaching of the gospel that we find in the whole Bible. Abraham, I'm going to rescue the world through what I'm doing through you. You want to be a part. (laughs) And Abraham says, yes. Abraham responds to the gospel. He says, yes, let's do it. Have your way. Let me be a part of this story. And so the story of Abraham from that, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He promises to pull this to pass. Abraham has all these descendants, and God actually tells him, he's like, you know, your people are going to grow up in slavery, but, but it's, it's part of the plan. So the children of Israel, they grow up in Egypt under slavery. And the Egyptians uh, have, have, you know, formed a whole economy on the backs of, of the Hebrew slaves. There's, you know, by the time Moses is raised up, there's between a million, a million and a half Hebrew people. And God raises up a guy by the name of Moses, and he says, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go so they can come out and worship me. And Pharaoh says no, and so Moses does all kinds of crazy uh, miracles, you know, turns the water to blood. There's, there's frogs, there's flies, there's boils. It's bad. But every time Pharaoh's about to change his mind, he hardens his heart and uh, doesn't let him go. And so finally God says, I'm going to do one last miracle. Now, this is key. This is a big deal here. He says, I'm going to do something. We're going to call it the Passover, and, and you're going to eat a meal that's, you're going to take a little lamb, sacrifice that lamb, eat some bread. It's going to be like tortillas because you don't have enough time to let it, uh, you know, leaven. It'll, so it was going to be flat bread, and, and you're going to eat with your clothes on and your bags packed. And you're going to take a little bit of that blood and put it on the doorpost of your home. And so that's what the children of Israel did. And that night, the angel of death passes through Egypt, and it takes the firstborn of every house that doesn't have blood on the door. And with that miracle, with the Passover... Pharaoh finally says, okay, get out of here. There was, there was di- death all over Egypt, and he says, finally, get out of here. And that began the exodus from slavery towards the promised land, the land that had been promised to who? To Abraham, years before. Follow me. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make your descendants like the s- stars of the heaven, sands of the sea. And so Israel goes out into the de- desert, and, and we find that God makes a covenant with them, which we call the Mosaic Covenant. Now, Exodus 19, we can find kind of the heart of the covenant, and we find, we find even kind of the heart of what God had for Adam and Eve to do. He says, you will be for me, you, Israel, will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's plan was not that Israel would just be blessed. Like, I just love you, Israel. You're so much cooler than all the other nations, and we got a special thing. And that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was that through Israel, all the nations of the world, would be, that they would be like priests to, to the rest of the world, that they would show the Egyptians, the Babylonians, this is what God is like. And so God makes them a, a covenant, and he gives them the, the, the law of the Old Testament. Now, is everybody tracking with me? Okay. Now, in this old covenant, there were both blessings and cursings. If you, if you followed God, if you obeyed the law, you would be blessed. And what, what, was blessed, what did blessed look like to the Israels? 
It meant that God would fulfill his promises, that they would have a promised land and that they would live in that land and that they would dwell in this place of milk and honey and and prosper. That was blessings. What was the curse? Exile. If you don't follow these things, people are going to invade you. They're going to take you away. They're going to take you away from the land that I promised to you. Okay, you get that? So blessings equals land. Curses equals exile. And so we find... The, the, the history of Israel all throughout the Old Testament is, is they, they finally make it to the promised land, but they, they keep turning to the idols of the other religions, you know, the other nations. They want to be like all the other nations, and, and sometimes it gets horrible. There's, there's times where the, the Israeli people actually succumb to, to sacrificing children, I mean, to these pagan gods, and, and, and things go really bad. And so God, as he told them he would... He lets them go into exile, the Babylonian exile, the Assyrian exile. We find that they're invaded by kingdom after kingdom. But we also find that, that there's one king that God raises up by the name of David. He's the king that God chose. First, they had their, the, the king they chose, which was Saul. He wasn't such a great guy. So God chooses his king, a, a guy that, that the Bible says was, was somebody after God's own heart. And God makes a covenant with David. So now we have the Abraham covenant, the Moses covenant. Now we've got the covenant with David. And God tells David, he says, I'm going, your, your descendant, there's going to be a descendant of yours that comes whose kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Now this is important to the whole story of the gospel. He promises David, there's going to be somebody who comes from your lineage who's going to be on the throne and their kingdom's never going to end. And so began this messianic hope in the Old Testament. The children of Israel, even when they're in captivity in Babylon, even when they're in captivity by the Assyrians, when they're ruled by the Greeks and the Romans, they're, they're, all the prophets begin talking about this Messiah who's going to come and set things right, finally. Someone who would be like Moses, who would lead him into an exodus again. Someone who would do miracles and, and break the, the yoke of slavery. Someone who would be like David, who would rule in righteousness, and so closes the curtain on Act 3. So Act 4 comes along, and we call this one Jesus. Now, I'm sure you've heard the term Jesus Christ, right? Has anybody ever heard Jesus Christ? Okay, that's, uh, I got to tell you, I mean, for most of my life, even much of my Christian life, I just thought Christ was like his last name. And sometimes when I was a kid, I, I kind of thought that his middle name must be H something because that's the, cause that's the way my dad talked about him sometimes. <laughs> but I, I think this is one of the unfortunate translations of, of the New Testament, that word Christ. It's a pretty big word in the New Testament. But do you know what Christ means? It means Messiah, the anointed one. Now, if you hear Christ apart from that whole story I just told you, briefly, I mean, obviously, we could camp out on this story for months. But if you just hear Christ as an isolated term, you might think that Jesus just kind of stepped into the world, kind of an isolated... No, but Jesus was the one that God had promised to David. Jesus was the one who was going to live as the true Israelite. Where Adam and Eve had failed in the garden, Jesus wouldn't usurp. 
where Israel had failed to live as a nation of kings and priests, Jesus would live out that calling. Jesus would live as the true Israelite. As Paul goes on to call him one time, he says Jesus was the second Adam. Sin came through the, to the world through the first Adam. Life comes through Jesus. So Jesus in his earthly ministry, and, and uh, I would say a whole lot more about this, but we're going to spend you know the next year talking about Jesus and, and all these things in the gospel. But Jesus comes as the Messiah. He represents himself as that. He rides into Jerusalem as a king would. But he wasn't the king that they expected because he didn't come in on war chariots with hundreds of people. He came in riding on a donkey. Jesus didn't come trying to overthrow the Romans with power. He came loving, serving, healing. See, Israel had become so used to shabby second-rate kings that they didn't even recognize the true king of kings when he came into their midst. And Jesus was reconfiguring even what it meant to be a king around himself and around his purposes. And so what we see in the Gospels, from from page 1 all the way to, to, to the end of the Gospels, we see it's a story about Jesus Every one of the Gospels actually starts with some tie into the old story. A lot of people kind of skip through that. You see the genealogies of, of Matthew or Luke, and you're like, oh, and Zebediah begat, blah, blah, blah. And, and you kind of just blur over. Like, but but the, the, the reason all the Gospels start there is because they're saying this story about Jesus is tied into this story about Israel. Without the Israel story, the Jesus story ain't going to make much sense. Unfortunately, for most people in American Christianity, it's been kind of divorced from this story. There's a tie-in. We're going to find out in John. John doesn't just do genealogies. He goes back to like the Genesis 1 verse 1. John ties it all the way back to the beginning. I'm not going to spoil it. But the point is, Jesus lived up to what Israel never could. Jesus lived up to what Adam and Eve never could. God became flesh and walked among us. He lived as the perfect human, the perfect Israelite. And he... He, he, he took the old covenant, all the sins of, not, of failing to meet that covenant, all the sins of usurping God, all the, the sin of the world upon himself on the cross. We find that every one of the Gospels, though they differ in some of the stories, every one of them talks about the cross. It was the high point of the Gospels. Actually, it was the low point of the Gospels. But Jesus took the evil, the wickedness of the whole world, and he exhausted it in his own person. Only God could do that. And if the story ended with just the cross, it would be a pretty sad story. It'd be like, dang, Jesus, he was such a great guy. Why did he die? But, but it didn't end there. It ended with resurrection. Jesus faced death head on and beat death at its own game. And so we find Jesus rises from the tomb, and it's, it's the first of new creation. It's a new day dawning. Jesus is ushering in a new era that's not based on, on, on this Old Testament law, but it's based on him as the high priest, as the sacrifice, as the temple, as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins, not just of a group of people here in Egypt, but of the whole world. We find that Jesus is the Passover Lamb that begins a whole new exodus, from the slavery of sin. I'm about to get excited now. But we're going to act five. This is what we call new creation. You know, the opening chapters of Genesis, it starts out, it says, and the spirit hovered over the waters. You ever read that part before? 
the, the Spirit's hovering over the waters, and God speaks. And, this, and it's like the, you see the, the Father speaking. You, you, you see the, the, the Spirit hovering over the waters, and then stuff is created. And we're actually going to find out uh, who, who the Word was next week. Uh, spoiler warning. <laughs> well, you know, in this, the second chapter of Acts, we see the Spirit hovering again. But this time, it's not just over a dark massless world it's over the disciples of jesus jesus had told them go into jerusalem and wait because i'm going to send the the holy spirit he's going to be the 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 advocate the comforter the one who leads you in truth as we sang that this morning you're the one who leads me in the truth and so we find that just as creation started with the spirit hovering over the waters now in second chapter of acts we see the holy spirit hovering above these people we see it's the first day the, the birth of the church second chapter of acts it's it's the first day of new creation a new day dawning in which we can be filled again with the very spirit of god now since we're kind of using analogies from from uh the world of theater. Um, let's say I was in England and I was at the Globe Theater. That, that was uh, Shakespeare's old stomping ground. And say I'm just, you know, kicking around in the backyard and I, I see some, something sticking out of the ground. I find it's an old chest and I dig it up and I open it up and I find this, this amazing play that was never published by Shakespeare. And it was in five acts. And, and everything was good except for that fifth act. It only had, you know, the beginnings of it and the end of it. Now, if I was a theater director and I wanted to put on this lost play of Shakespeare, what am I to do with that last chapter? You know, a few years ago, uh, Christopher Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien's son, you know, Tolkien had a lot of these books that were uncompleted, you know? And so Christopher Tolkien finished it. I, I actually read one about a year ago. I listened to it on audio. Um, what do you do if you want to finish a Shakespeare work? Well, you get some people who are familiar with Shakespeare, people who have immersed themselves in, in the way he writes, people who have acted in his plays. And this is kind of what God is, is telling us in Act 5. You've got the first four acts. You've got the beginning of the second act. And you've got the end. You know what we see at the end of Act 5? The, 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 the end of this whole thing? Spoiler alert again. Uh, <laughs> Revelations, the last two chapters, 21 and 22, I believe. We see that they bear a shocking resemblance to chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. But what started in a garden ends in a city, the New Jerusalem. What started with a promise to Abraham ends in a fulfillment where his descendants are like the sands of the sea, and it's been completed by Jesus. We find that in the end of the story, heaven has finally come to earth, as Jesus has told us to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We find a renewed creation, the habitat of the world, everything that God had planned from the beginning is finally fulfilled. So what are we to do? Well, I think like jazz music, I think we're supposed to improvise with the themes that we've come in contact with in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, with the very Spirit of God within us. Like actors in a play, we're supposed to take what we've known of the first four acts, 
of what we know of Shakespeare, and we're supposed to live out in that. See, that's what we see the disciples doing. If you look at the book of Acts, and and one of these days we're probably going to go through that, because it's an amazing book. They were improvising on the themes that they found from Jesus. Jesus said, it's good that I'm going away because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Y'all go have fun. (laughs) And God gave them his spirit to lead them into truth and guide them. And so we see the disciples when they are, are living, that the, the way that they live, they live as if there's good news, that there's a king on the throne who is establishing a reign of justice. They live as if Jesus is king. And what's that mean? They start taking care of people. They start sharing their possessions with one another. They start feeding the widows. They start sharing the truth. They start worshiping God together. They share communion. They live in the reality of the future, in the here and now. You know, next month, uh, well, actually December, we're going to celebrate Advent. Advent, that word means the coming of Jesus. And it's been celebrated by the church for years. But the Christmas season isn't just about Jesus came into our world as a a baby. Advent Advent season throughout the history of church has always been about we celebrate the first coming of Jesus as we're anticipating the second coming of Christ where he'll finally Set all things right. So we find ourselves in Act 5 today. And so as we begin to look at, at the Gospel of John, uh, let's not look at it as just some inspirational old book that was written a while ago and we can go, oh, no. No, let's look at it the way the disciples did. They looked at it as a, a new way to be human, a new way to live the new creation, to be involved in the recreation of the world as the way God intended it. This morning, I want us to close by uh, taking communion together. We haven't, we haven't got to take communion since we torn down this wall. So uh, I would like, uh, we don't have to get too logistically crazy here this morning because I don't have too many people. But uh, <laughs> Zach, you want to play a little communion music for us? Zach just uh, gets ready to play a little music. Why don't you come up here and grab a, a, a cup and a piece of bread and bring it back to your chair, and we're going to celebrate communion uh, together. If I need to get logistic, I can, you know. But, uh... You know, it's interesting when when we see Peter sharing the gospel, 
in Jerusalem, in Acts 2, or other places in Acts, Jesus doesn't get up there before all these people and say, if you walked out of this meeting and you got hit by a chariot and you died, where would you spend the rest of your eternity? (laughs) You know what Peter did? He told the story of Israel. He told the story of Jesus being the fulfillment of that story. He told of a new covenant. And he just called people to a place of repentance. Now, repentance, that's a scary, crazy word. You may have had people shouted at you on Bourbon Street before or something. <laughs> but repentance just means I, I'm not buying into the way I'm living here. I'm, I'm going to live a different reality that's centered around the person of Christ. He's going to be the center. He's going to be king. I'm going to live as if Jesus is king because he is. I'm going to be his subject. That's the gospel, and that's the response to the gospel. Now, good news is, yeah, it it does include salvation at the end. But we don't find that the emphasis. We find the emphasis that he's the king. That's the only good news we can find. He's on the throne. He's God. And he's actually called us to be a part of what he's doing. So from that vantage point this morning, I want us to celebrate. And I I say celebrate because it's, it's an exciting thing that we're taking communion today. I mean, how cool is that? Like God has actually invited us to be a part. Like he didn't say, no, I, I got this, I got this, Peter. Like, like no, I'm going to do this myself. He said, Peter, John, James, kingdom's in your hands. You go do it. I'm giving you my spirit, but you, you go do this thing. So this morning, let's take this bread. Lord, we thank you for this bread, Lord, that represents your body, Lord, that was broken for us. Lord, your bread that, this broken body that that, that represents our own brokenness that you took upon yourself. Lord, we thank you that in your broken body, God, the world is being put right again, Lord. That your brokenness means healing, not just for us as individuals, but healing for the world, Lord. And so we take this bread this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are a covenant keeper. Lord, that you haven't given up on your promises you made to Abraham thousands of years ago. Lord, that you will have a people, you will have a dwelling, you will set all things right. We thank you that your blood speaks a better word for our lives, Lord. Lord, we thank you this cup is is an invitation into what you're doing. Lord, a way of life that's not based on our best performance, on our following the rules, our trying to get it all right, Lord, but a a way of life that that is based on your best, Lord. It's based on you, Jesus, as our priest, our sacrifice. We thank you for this blood, and for this cup, Lord, that you've brought us into your new covenant. We take this one. And so, Father God, I, I just pray this morning for North Shore Vineyard, for everybody in here, Lord. Lord, we could respond to the good news of the gospel with our whole lives. 
Lord, that in the coming year, as we just look into the story of Jesus, Lord, that you would awaken our hearts to what it means to live in the reality of the risen King. Lord, that we could be image bearers, Lord. Image bearers of the good news that Jesus has set things right and that he's setting things right. Lord, that we could be a part of your new creation, the new work that you're doing. It was began that Easter Sunday, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Set free.